Well, as I said during the first hour, it's a joy for me to be here. Uh, I've thought of Fourth Baptist as uh, maybe not a church home, but a home away from home. And a number of reasons I've appreciated the leadership of your pastors through the years, uh, admire the seminary so much, and have enjoyed the times I've had to minister here. And then, um, then your pastor uh, just is a good friend in ministry. And again, I think we see things very much alike. And uh, I always like to remind you, um, in 2010, I got to take a trip to Israel, and uh, it was a great experience. The, um, the chaperones were your mom and dad. Your, your dad was a chaperone and lead teacher, and your mom was just kind of the enforcer. It was funny, we had a bunch of pastors on the trip, but she would let us know, do not be late, we will leave you. And, and she would have, so... Uh, I had such a privilege getting to know them. I thank the Lord that uh, they get to enjoy his presence directly. They served him from afar. Now they're serving him face to face. And what a joy that is. Well, I do serve now with biblical ministries worldwide. I pastored for 25 years and have just recently uh, transitioned into a role where I am basically recruiting missionaries and working with churches uh, to uh, encourage them to become senders not just uh, hoarders or keepers, and uh, shared in the morning hour how the Lord has um, allowed me and my pastoral ministry to be part of seeing a number of people. Uh, they were so eager not to be under my preaching that they uh, moved to other countries just uh, to, to get a fresh start. Uh, the Lord has allowed us to send many missionaries out, and now my new role uh, as the vice president of Global Opportunity is basically to recruit missionaries. I appreciate your prayer for that. And I shared on that this morning, but if you would like to sign up just to get updates, uh, more about that ministry, the part you can play in it, uh, there's a QR code. So um, younger people, you can click your phone on that. Uh, The rest of us, there's a paper sign up in the lobby, and you can sign up for that if that would be a help to you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 3 John. It's not a statement that you hear very often. The book of 3 John. Um, If you don't know how to find it, go to Revelation and turn left. Um, The New Testament is filled with letters. Uh, We used to call them epistles. Epistles are not apostles' wives. Epistles are letters uh, sent to churches. The New Testament, we have a number of kind of postcards. They're they're short letters. Uh, This one is only one chapter long. 3 John is uh, just 15 verses. But it's underappreciated. This is such a great book for the church. It's such a great book for the cause of missions. Uh, We're studying a sermon today called For the Sake of His Name. We couldn't have had a better introduction, I suppose, than singing that psalm. That that psalm grows out of the book of 3 John where we learn that there are people that are leaving home. They're going to, to other places, to other nations, and they're doing it for the sake of his name, for the sake of Jesus' name. Uh, Third John is such a unique book. It talks about missions uh, and the role that we get to play. Not, not everyone in the church is supposed to go. Uh, one of my burdens as I present uh, just a, an urgent call for more missionaries, as I pray, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. I, I would pray that at Killian Hill where I pastored not just generally, but Lord of the harvest, please send laborers from this church. And as the Lord answered that, it was a great joy to us. I I would pray this morning, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers 
from Fourth Baptist Church. Uh, use people locally around this area, but Lord, burden some to go, to go out for the sake of the name. But one of, one of my burdens as I preach missions is it's easy to hear a missions message, and for those of us who are called to stay, you could feel a little bit like, oh, so, so we don't have a part to play. We're kind of second class. You know, I'm, I'm not doing any, anything special. I'm just a mom raising children. Or, you know, I, I just hold down a regular job, and I teach a Sunday school class, and I come to church, and I, I support the ministry of the church. I sing in the choir. Or I evangelize my neighbors, and I guess that's not so important. No, it's, it's vitally important. The vast majority of Christians are doing things like that. Uh, I'd love to preach today from Acts 21, I think it's verse 6. You have the Apostle Paul that is on a, he's on a missionary journey. He's got his team, and they pray with, they pray with this church. I'm trying to remember exactly uh, what, what city they were in. He had just left Miletus, and uh, maybe Troas, something like that. But, but they pray with the church. And Luke says that, that Paul and his team got on board a ship and sailed away. And then it says, and the rest went home. There's something very sacred and important about those who don't get on the ship or don't get on the plane to go to the mission field. You go home. You, you serve the Lord in just mundane, daily faithfulness. You read your Bible. You pray. You, you train your children. You support your church you look for opportunities to share the gospel. There's something very valuable about that. So please don't hear me when I, when I urge you to consider missions. Please don't hear me say that if, if you're not called to frontline missions, that you don't have a big part to play in what God is doing. A big part that we're going to see from the book of Third John is even if you're not going as a missionary, you have the privilege of teaming with missionaries by supporting them uh, through prayer, but, but even financially, and that's a big, a big portion of the book of Third John. Uh, the last word I have up there is schism. We're studying missions and giving and schism. Schism is division. Uh, schism is, is church, uh, a church being fractured. And, and we see that all through the New Testament. There's a scandal of schism where there are churches that people are actually called out for bringing division. You know, you think about Euodia and Syntyche. They are forever preserved in Holy Scripture as, as a couple knuckleheads that couldn't get along in the church, and the Holy Spirit inspired them to be corrected. That must have been an awkward thing to hear when the book of Philippians was read in public and the two of them heard that. All right, church division is a problem. It's not just that it breaks up the harmony of the church, but it, it distracts the church from its mission. So we have this important book, a lot packed into just a few verses, and please don't think me irreverent for using this example, but I'm going to go back to my childhood. I would uh, get up on Saturday morning and watch cartoons, and um, I especially enjoyed the exploits of Dudley Do-Right. Any of you remember uh, the comic Dudley Do-Right? It was part of uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and uh, he's a Canadian Mountie, and I can't remember his uh, girlfriend's name, but uh, she was always a damsel in distress, always in danger, and he had to always rescue her from the villain. Does anybody remember the name of the villain from Dudley Do-Right? Snidely Whiplash. Many of you knew Snidely Whiplash. Now, without looking, give me the main characters from the book of Third John. Aha. Aha, that is troubling. You know Snidely Whiplash. I want you to get to know uh, Gaius and Demetrius and Diatrophes. 
Well, I use this illustration, and you know, I, I'm kind of jesting, but, but I want to set the tone. In the story, the, the people that are being kind of afflicted, the people that are in need of help, I, I don't want to say damsel in distress, but the people needing help are these missionaries. And when we read the book, we're going to talk about the brothers. These, these are people, they didn't grow up in this local church, uh, the one that's being addressed. They're strangers, but, but they're gospel preachers. They're missionaries, and they're going out for the sake of the name. But there is someone that is trying to prohibit their support, and that person is named Diotrephes. He's the villain. Now, uh, Dudley Do-Right is kind of like, it's, it's done with, you know, kind of an old piano sound, and um, you have this villain that it's like a melodrama. Have you ever been to a melodrama? Somebody comes out on stage, he has a curly mustache, and boo, hiss, you know, it, it's kind of overplayed. Well, there's a villain in the book of Third John, his name is Diotrephes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone named Diotrephes? No, you don't name your son Diotrephes because he's a bad guy. It would be like naming your daughter Jezebel. Um, this is a troublemaker in the church. And then the hero, in this book we would say maybe the Apostle John, uh, he's writing a letter probably to, to a pastor of the church, uh, maybe the host of the church in his home, Gaius. And then he's going to write about Demetrius. He's basically going to say, I'm urging you to follow Demetrius, not Diotrephes. Imitate what is good, not that which is evil. So you have a beautiful call to missions and to missions giving and to unity, but it's not just, it's not just a letter that's giving commands and, and, and making statements of truth. There's actually a plot there's a story to it, and maybe those characters will kind of help you get ready for that. Well, take your eyes off of them. Let's put our eyes on the Scriptures and see what God has to say from the book of Third John. Uh, I'll read it, and you read it with fresh eyes, and ask the Lord to teach us as we study His Word together today. Book of Third John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, God's Word is, is inspired and authoritative and sufficient and life-changing. Let's study it together. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. It's a great prayer. I'm praying for your physical health, but even more so for your spiritual health. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Well, what is it that they're doing that, that John is so proud of? We begin learning that in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Here it's not really an ethnic term. It's not saying, you know, Gentiles as opposed to Jews. They're, they're not accepting support from unbelievers but they're being supported in their missions work by the church, by God's people. 
verse 8, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, boo, hiss, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, the King James says, who likes to have the preeminence, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. The Apostle John, the last living disciple. Uh, All of the other disciples were martyred. Uh, John lived to a ripe old age. He wasn't martyred, but he certainly was persecuted. Uh, Some say that he was tortured for his faith. We know that he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But he had leadership over a group of churches. He would write like to the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor. We read about that in the book of Revelation. Church history has him ministering at Ephesus for a time. Here he's writing to this church. He's urging them. He's urging them to have a bigger heart for missions. This is a missions letter. We start out with this big idea. The first of three points is focused on missions, and it is this. The big idea for missions is this. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. That's what we just uh, sang about. We're, we're going to the lost. We're going to the world for the sake of Jesus' name. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. Each word is important. The church is doing this work. It's not just Christians in general. This is the work that that we're doing as a church. Yes, individually, but, but the church is doing it together. Paul is writing, or John is writing to a local assembly. And he says we must be aggressive. We must be ambitious, audacious. We, we must have this, this mission's ambition that we're not comfortable just with what God is doing here locally. You know, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that God's agenda is bigger than Fourth Baptist Church, bigger than Plymouth, Minnesota. God has an agenda that goes to the end of the earth. He commands us to be part of it, to take the gospel, to make disciples, to be witnesses. And, and He wants it happening everywhere. And this book urges us, again, reminds us that the church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. To the lost, that's an important phrase. 
You know, in, in, in my lifetime, in my ministry lifetime over the last 25 years, uh, instead of the gospel being primarily a noun, the gospel has become an adjective. Uh, we, we have gospel-centered ministry, gospel-preaching churches, gospel-saturated books, you know, gospel-centered songs. That is fine. Yeah, I, I rejoice in a renewed emphasis in the importance of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. The gospel is not the milk of the word. It's the milk and the meat of the word. We never get past the glory of the gospel. You know, the teaching uh, that says we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, that's beautiful. But if a church is singing gospel-saturated hymns and studying gospel-centered sermons, but never taking to the, the gospel to the lost, that is not a gospel-centered church. Okay, the fact that we talk about the Bible and we talk about the work of Christ to each other, you know, here in the safety of, of the, the four church walls, you know, that, that's a good thing to fellowship around the gospel. But you're not really an obedient, gospel-centered church unless you are urgently taking the gospel to the people who need it the most. So preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to each other through sermons and teaching and songs. But take the gospel to your lost neighbor. Take the gospel to the people who are still in darkness that the Lord might call them out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost, evangelism locally, missions internationally. And our motive is for the sake of Jesus' name. Look back at the text. Verse 5, he says, you're doing a good job. Kudos to you for all that you're doing to help the brothers, even though they're strangers, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7, for they, these, these missionaries whatever their names are, these missionaries have gone out, they've left home, and they've done it for the sake of the name. That's an important phrase, for the sake of the name. What's that mean? The great motive for missions is Jesus' glory. Okay, we, we, we do ministry so that Jesus will be adored, so that Jesus will be exalted, so that Jesus' name will be great. You know, it wouldn't have struck us as odd if he had said, they have gone out for the sake of the lost. There's a sense in which we do evangelize for the sake of the lost. We have compassion on them. You know, Jesus would look at the multitudes in their lost condition and weep over them. Spurgeon would famously say, the Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and you must weep over the lost if they would be one to Christ through you. So we have compassion on the lost, but it, the Bible doesn't say that they went out from their home, their home church, their families, their comfort zone. They went out for the sake of the lost. There's even a greater, there, there's a greater motive than compassion for the lost, and that is they went out for the sake of of Jesus' name. They, they had what we call a doxological intent, a doxological purpose. You know, big words usually aren't that helpful, but doxology means glory. They went out for the glory of God. We sang this morning about, you know, giving the gospel to the lost, and think of the throng of believers who will gather around the throne 
singing praise to Jesus. We read about it in Revelation 5, Revelation 7, and there's a song in heaven, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That is the celebration of heaven. In heaven, we're rejoicing in Jesus who shed his blood for us, who traded places with us, who became sin for us so that we could be counted as the righteousness of God through the doctrine of justification, through, through the imputation of sin to him and of righteousness to us. All the glory goes to Jesus. And a big motive of missions is not that we're so motivated by the condition of the lost, which is important but secondary, we're primarily motivated by the sake of Jesus' name. So Paul says in Romans 1.5 that we're preaching the gospel for the sake of Jesus' name. Acts 15, we have this reminder of uh, the labors of Paul and Barnabas, and the church at Jerusalem rehearses how they, they risked their lives as missionaries. Literally, they risked their lives. Like, Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul would be imprisoned. You have all of his, his uh, record of, of his suffering in 2 Corinthians. You know, he's, he's beaten, he's imprisoned, he's shipwrecked, he's hated, he's chased from town to town. Why would he endure all of that? You know, Paul changed jobs. You know, become a plumber or something. Why are you doing this? And he would say, it's worth it because they risked their lives, Acts 15, 26, they risked their lives for the sake of Jesus' name. It's worth it. We want people gathered to Christ for his glory. They, They are gathered to worship him. John 4, the woman at the well is being evangelized, and in the middle of the evangelism discussion, Jesus says that God is seeking worshipers. Wow, that that seems like a a change of topic. It wasn't a change of topic. God is bringing the lost to himself in order to create an assembly of worshipers. We do what we do for the sake of Jesus' name, for for his glory. Ephesians 1, uh, three times in verse 6, 12, and 14, says that the entire focus of the gospel, uh, the, the generosity of God, the grace of God, is all being poured out on us that we should be to the praise of what? To the praise of His glory. So, so glory doesn't go to the evangelist, to the missionary, to the sender, to Killian Hill, to Fourth Baptist, to, to BMW. Glory goes to God alone. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. So as I preach this morning, a part of my prayer is that the Lord would, would agitate you, would, would stir you up, and perhaps there's people who are sitting here and you say, man, I appreciate missionaries, but missionaries are, you know, they're, they're superheroes. They are kind of commandos, Navy SEALs. I'm just a normal Christian. I'm, I'm not, you know, exceptional like that. Missionaries aren't exceptional. They're, they're normal people. And the people that we've sent out from our church in the last few years, you know, they, they're a fireman and a teacher and an educator, a mom, and they just say, instead of serving the Lord here in my church, maybe there's a darker area where the gospel hasn't reached yet, and maybe I can just serve the Lord over there. God uses just normal people. You realize that. God uses average people, maybe below average. Paul says he, he uses weak things so that all of the glory goes to him. And maybe there's somebody sitting here today, 
and you've had this kind of inkling, you've had this burden that you appreciate the, the job and ministry you have, but maybe there's more. Maybe God has something else that He would like you to do, and, and maybe He's going to agitate you until you consider going to a foreign field to proclaim the gospel. Go out for the sake of Jesus' name. It's worth it. It's worth it. I love uh, the hymn by Isaac, Isaac Watts, How Sweet and Awesome, uh, or How Sweet and Awful. Do you sing that? There's a verse that says, We want to see your churches filled, that all the chosen race may with one heart and soul and voice sing thy redeeming grace. We want to see the lost come in and give praise to Jesus. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. Now, many of you, most of you, aren't called to go out. What part can you play? The Bible talks about giving. The second point is this. The church must generously support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. The church must generously support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. So, verses 5 and 6 and 8 John is writing to the church and he says, All right, what you've done to financially support them, good job. I've heard about it. I'm proud of you. Attaboy. But then he's going to say even more aggressively, we should do even more. Let's read these verses again. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, these missionaries, strangers as they are. You're not only supporting your own tribe. You're not only supporting people that grew up with you and, and graduated from your schools. You're, you're supporting gospel preachers. They testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey. That's, that's a common phrase in the New Testament, to send them on their way. You, do you ever sing the song, um, O Zion Haste? Give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your wealth to send them on their way. Paul will write, you know, help this person on his way. Or he writes in Romans, I'm, I'm coming to see you, but I, I hope that you will help me on my journey because I want to take the gospel to Spain as well. You do well to send them on their journey. And then he says to do so, the ESV reads, in a manner worthy of God. What's it mean to support them in a manner worthy of God? All right, you support them with the kind of generosity that you're showing to God himself. It reminds me of, of Jesus when he would say, you know, as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. Or if you give a cold water in my name, you're, it's, it's as though you're giving it to me. Here he says, when you support his ambassadors, his emissaries, his messengers, his missionaries, you do it in a manner worthy of God because you're actually supporting his work. You give in a manner worthy of God. You know, what does that look like? Well, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of what it doesn't look like. How many of you grew up with, with a, you know, mi the missions barrel was part of your life? Uh, I lived in a dormitory, and uh, in the dormitory, every floor there was a missions barrel. And the idea was, you might have shirts that are threadbare, or maybe sweaters that have all kinds of, you know, the, the little balls and, and they're worn, and, you know, it's not good enough for you to wear. But, ha if you put in that barrel, we'll give it to missionaries. And even though the shirt is too worn out for you, the missionaries would love it. You know, so let's send them our secondhand stuff and, and feel good about ourselves. You know, it's, it's generous. I've seen 
I've seen missionary closets at churches, which is a great idea. Just, just stock it with really nice stuff. You know, put in iPads. Uh, put in things that are new. Put in things that are nice. I've, I've seen some where people, they actually went through the time and trouble to take old Hallmark cards and they would cut out the flowers, glue them to construction paper, and now the missionaries have cards that they can send out. And, you know, won't they be blessed? Yep. Or, or you could spend 250 and go buy them a box of new cards. There's an idea. You, you don't just give them the leftovers. You know, put it this way. A, a missionary who is serving the Lord in Cameroon, West Africa, he needs a better vehicle than you drive. Now, I drove the roads of, uh, you know, on the way to church, and you do need some good vehicles because it's like off-roading. There are a lot of potholes around here. But you, you know what I mean? You're, you're driving to work on paved roads, and we have such amazing road system, so missionaries don't need a second-hand Jeep. They need, they need a really reliable vehicle. So let's spend more to equip them. We do it in a manner worthy of God. We, we do it generously. We don't just give them cast-offs and leftovers. One, one of my big burdens about missions is we pray for missionaries uh, to, to surrender, to, to go to a hard place and take the gospel. And then for three or four years, they have to travel on raising support you know, taking their kids. We actually had a family that we sent out. They had to wait several months because during deputation, their young son got a flattened head because he spent so much time in a car seat and they had to have a helmet to kind of fix that. And, you know, that, that's anecdotal, but, but it, we're not doing missions really well when we're sending people out kind of panhandling uh, from church to church for three and four years at a time. We need to do better. Part of doing better is just being more generous and we do it for the sake of the name, and we do it in a manner worthy of God, because by giving to them, we're giving to Him. And then verse 8 gives us even more motivation. It says, Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Fellow workers. Here's the generosity of God. You may not go to the mission field, but when you support those who are going to the mission field, you are counted as a co-worker. God rewards you as though you were doing the work because you have a part in it. It, it sounds like a multi-level scheme, frankly. It's just the generosity of God. You're rewarded for the work that the missionaries you support are doing. Now, that cuts both ways. In a moment, I'm going to urge us not to be schismatic and divisive. And somebody might say, so, so you're repudiating separation. I'm not repudiating separation. Second John, look back at Second John, it's just a page to your left. Second John warns against false teachers, and I'm going to just jump in at verse 10. If anyone comes to you, all right, this is a brother, say, or, you know, some other guest in the church. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, orthodox teaching about the, the personal work of Jesus Christ, do not receive him into your house. Don't even bid him Godspeed or give him a greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So if you aid and abet false teachers, you're guilty of their false teaching. You are guilty by association, and the doctrine of separation is true. You, you cannot do anything to assist a false teacher, or you're guilty of his false teaching. But 3 John says, on the other hand, 
Some are going to come to you. They're not false teachers. They're brothers. They're orthodox. They're Bible preachers. They love the gospel. And, and you ought to support them, and, and it works both ways. You're guilty if you help false teachers, but you are rewarded and blessed if you're helping those who are preaching the truth. And we ought to do more of that, he says. He says you ought to help people like this. Have a, have a greater heart for missions. As the Lord was, as the Lord was uh, calling people from our church in the last few years, like a dozen families going out to ministry, and we just kept coming back and saying, well, we're losing members which probably means we're losing givers, but our need is greater, so we need to increase our missions budget, you know, and, and God, you're going to have to provide, but, but we want to support people like this and men are worthy of God. So you have a greater heart for missions, and part of that is you get the privilege of supporting them through giving. That theme is all over the book of Acts uh, and Romans, and it, you know, First, Second Corinthians all talk about sending missionaries out, sending workers out, and again, our motive is for the sake of the name. So they preach the gospel for the sake of the name. We support them in ministry for the sake of the name. And then he ends on this note. He says, hey guys, I have something to talk to you about. And he talks about division, about schism. The third point, just very quickly, is this. The church must avoid petty divisions which hinder great commission work. Okay, Separation over false teaching is legitimate. But there was somebody causing division. It wasn't over doctrine. It wasn't over anything. It wasn't over the truth. Diotrephes was not defending the truth. He was defending his turf. Diotrephes was separating from these brothers because he wanted to be preeminent. Let me ask you a question. Who is preeminent in Jesus' church? Well, only one. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is preeminent in the church. You know, the rest of us are, are just extras. Jesus is the main focus. Diotrephes wanted to be first place, so he's causing division not over doctrine, not over fidelity to the scriptures. It's, it's just fighting for turf, for influence, for power, for prestige. So biblical separation is right, and it's commanded in 2 John but in 3 John, you have a guy, Diotrephes, he's causing division, and he's not content refusing to fellowship and assist these genuine brothers, but he says, if anyone else does help them, I'll cut you off as well. So it's, it's second-degree schism. It's, I'm separating from you and anybody who helps you. You know, it was a sobering time for me when I read this text and realized there have been times in my life in ministry that I was diatrophies. I didn't mean to be. I thought I was earnestly contending for the faith. I think every diatrophies fancies himself a Jude. And we are commanded in the book of Jude when there is false teaching that creeps into the church we're to contend, we're to fight, do battle royal for the truth. Every New Testament book calls us to, to fight false teaching and defend the truth. But there have been times in my life in ministry, I thought I was fighting for the truth like John or like, like Jude, and actually I was just being schismatic like Diotrephes. I was protecting my turf, you know, my reputation, my influence, and Diotrephes is not a hero. 
He's causing division that actually is hindering gospel advance. So we read several times in Scripture, you know, Paul, Paul says to Yodi and Syntyche, would you get along? And he says, we're not just getting along so that we're happier in church. We should be standing side by side as, as co-workers in the gospel. That together, Philippians 1.27, we're proclaiming Christ and our petty divisions are actually hindering gospel work. So he says, some of you need to go. For the sake of the name, you need to be willing to go. And the, the little bit that you'd have, you know, you kind of say like, God, you're not getting much. When you get me, you're not getting much, but you have me. And if you would use me somewhere else, I'm willing to go. And, and the Lord will use you in remarkable ways. Some of you need to go. More of you need to be more generous in your supporting of missions. And, you know, you might look at your discretionary spending at home and say, you know, I could do a little bit less of this or a little bit less of that because eternal souls are at stake. The glory of Jesus is at stake. And, and there's people that are, are lacking. They can't get to the field because they're trying to raise support and, and it's painfully slow. And I'm going to be more generous. You ought to do that for the sake of Jesus' name. And you do it in a manner worthy of God as fellow workers in the truth. And then you just stop petty divisions been so burdened over the last year. As I see Christians, the last year, the last couple of years, see Christians who are, are much more concerned about politics than they are about gospel advance. You know, um, Trump, is, Trump is a demon, or Trump is an angel, or, you know, COVID is real, oh, COVID is false. Masks are stupid, masks are necessary, vaccines, I don't care. I mean, you, you can have opinions, and, and, you know, Scripture actually tells us how to disagree agreeably, so you're persuaded in your own mind. These are not biblical things. You look up the word vaccine in the Bible, it's not there, uh, not even in new versions. But, but you save your zeal for the gospel. You know, Paul would actually say, I, I go out of my way, so to the Jews I act like a Jew, and to others I act like them. I, I become all things to all men that I can save them. So he says, instead of letting other things become my passion and identity, I put those things aside because the central truth of the Christian life is Christ. And the church has gotten so distracted in the world. Our, our, our evangelical witness, our Bible-believing witness in the world is not very strong right now. But people know where we stand on masks. Who cares? I'm not trying to persuade you one way or the other. Just, it, it's not a first matter. It's not, it's not worthy of all of that attention. Only Jesus deserves preeminence in his church. Why do missionaries do what they do? You know, why would you leave your family and your church and your comfort Go to the other side of the world for the sake of Jesus' name. Why would you risk danger from disease or violence? My brother's a missionary in Brazil and uh, now leads a, a Brazilian uh, Brazil Gospel Fellowship mission. He's the director now. But when he's in Brazil, there was a time his neighbor was shot, and he actually helped the guy get to the hospital. He had brain matter on his clothes and he's in such a dangerous place. Dan, why would you take your family to such a dangerous place? What's the answer? For the sake of Jesus' name. For the glory of Jesus. I talked to a, a missionary in the South Pacific. A lady's been there for a lifetime. 
And uh, I think she's of Scandinavian descent. And I said, you know, you must really enjoy the, the sun, the beach, the ocean. She goes, honestly, I don't enjoy any of that. Um, I don't like the ocean. I don't like a lot of sun. I get sunburned and um, not my favorite. You, you live on an island in the South Pacific. Why do you do that? And she kind of choked up a little bit. She said, you know, I've, I've missed the births of a lot of my nephews and nieces. I've missed some important family events. This isn't the environment I would choose to live in, but it's so worth it when a sinner who's never heard the gospel hears and comes to Christ and becomes a a brother or sister, and I see them get to grow. It's so worth it for the sake of Jesus' name. Why should a church like Fourth Baptist be urgent in sending missionaries and supporting missionaries? And the answer is, we do it for the glory of Jesus' name. Third John is a short book, but boy, it packs a punch we do what we do for the sake of Jesus' name. My prayer for you might feel like an imprecatory prayer, like I'm praying against you, but I'm praying that the Lord would raise up missionaries from this congregation. And, and seminary students included, but not exclusively. Lord, just send Christians to go out for the sake of the name. Help us to support them with more urgency and generosity. And Lord, help us to not be divided by petty things, but to keep our focus on the centrality of Christ and the cross. And the great mission that we have is, is not to change culture and you know, convince them of our political persuasions. Our great call is to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples. All the glory goes to Jesus, amen? Amen, Lord, take your word and use it in our hearts. And I, I don't know what you're doing. Um, I can preach the truth, but Holy Spirit, you can apply it. And I pray that you would. You do a work, and we'll be jealous that the glory goes to you alone. Thank you for Jesus who suffered and died in our place. Thank you that he rose again. If any is here today who doesn't yet know Christ, would you open their eyes to the truth, and for the glory of Jesus, would you save them? Do your work through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.